So let's turn our Bibles to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. We'll read verse 1 and verse 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and verse 2. The Bible reads, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so, so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which cleans so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray together, shall we? Our Father, we thank you that you are a God who is enthroned on high, a God who is transically good, a God who can do no evil, cannot even think evil, a God who does not behold evil. You are too pure, O God, to behold evil. But you are also a God who is gracious, forgiving sins to those that believe in your Son, Jesus Christ, and granting them eternal life. We want to give you thanks for the rains that are pouring outside. We pray that as the rains water the, the, the land, that through these we may be able to till the land and our food for our bodies in this nation. We're grateful, oh God, and grant us wisdom to utilize the rains to grow the food that we need. But also I want to give you thanks that it has pleased you to allow us to come together this afternoon to gather for worship. We pray that the Holy Spirit will be in, in our midst and cause that our singing is pleasing in your sight. But also we pray that may God the Holy Spirit honor the word as it will be proclaimed. Let our Nazu be sitting to break bread and drink of the cup. We ask that there again you refresh our souls as we relieve the memories of the cross and think of what it, take, what it took thee to accomplish our salvation and what your son has accomplished for us. And now as we turn to the preaching of your word, we ask that you be gracious to us that you be pleased that your word will be preached authoritatively, instructingly, and by the aid and power of the Holy Spirit. We also pray that the platform that we are using will be sustained and that we'll be able to hear one another, particularly as your word is being proclaimed. And those who are joining us via live streaming, that you uphold the connectivity and that they'll be able to join us and hear that which you've laid out for them this afternoon. We ask that you bless all of us for the sake of Christ. Amen. It has rightly been said that the stories of our lives is only finished in the lives of other people, others whom we've loved, led, influenced and inspired and as I seek to leave out some of the principles or lessons learned from us we see our lives being lived in them or our stories being told by them and this was true for our, for our dear brother Mwansa that his life will continue to live on in the many people that he he led influenced, inspired, or the people that he loved. But the same can be said of the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, that it, the, the story of the heroes of the faith, as it were, is only finished in 
the chapters that follows in which the examples of the heroes of the faith is lived out and reaches to out to all of us. The goal of the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews was not merely history, but exhortation. And this is why the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews begins with the word therefore, connecting what will be said in chapter 12 and the chapters that follows to what is being said in the preceding chapter, which is chapter 11. And that word therefore is a key word. It's a word demanding that we deal with the implications of what we have learned and the in to, from the examples of the heroes of the faith and then begin to apply those lessons in our day-to-day -day lives as we live to serve God. And the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11 indeed teach us that our faith must be fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. The heroes of the faith teach us to fix our faith on the Lord Jesus Christ. And later on, as we will be coming to break the bread and drink of the cup, it's once again a reminder of ourselves to fix our faith on the Lord Jesus Christ. That even in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of affliction, in the midst of trials, in the midst of whatever it is that we find ourselves in, the goal to come out of that is to fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, to fix our faith on Him who has paved the way, who's gone before us, and who's seated at the right hand of the Father. And this helps us to serve God faithfully even in the midst of afflictions, trials, tribulations, sorrow, and calamity. And so as we open up those two verses, we, we need to remind ourselves that our faith must be anchored in Christ. That's the only way we will continue to serve God faithfully to the very end. And so let's open up those two verses and draw some lessons and prepare ourselves to break bread later. The first thing I would like to draw your attention to, it is to think of the context of the Christian life. The context of the Christian life or the arena of the Christian life, or the community of the Christian life. And let's read verse 1 again, verse 1a of Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Immediately the author of Hebrews wants us to begin thinking in this way that as Christians, there's a context in which we live our lives. And that context in which we live our lives should help us interpret life on earth. Oftentimes, as human beings, we think in terms of, we think of ourselves in terms of uh, a community in which we live in, a tribe in we, from which we come from, uh, uh, the social status and all those things, and, and therefore, we, we tend to miss the, the larger context in which, as Christians, we live in. 
And so, do you think of yourself living in the midst of a secular society? A secular society with its testimony of materialism and sensuality? Or, or do you think of yourself as simply part of the family in which you grew up in? Or the neighborhood in which you grew up in? Or, or, or the, 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 the tribe, as I said earlier on, or, or the racial group in which you grew up in? And if that's how we think, we begin to interpret the Christian life through those lenses. However, we need to perceive the context that we are given in the scriptures. And the writer of, the Hib of Hebrews suggests a far different context. And is showing us as Christians, we should think of ourselves as surrounded by a, a great cloud of witnesses. And these witnesses bear testimony to the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the context in which we need to see ourselves. And this is the body to which we belong. And that's the community whose approval we must seek. And, and this is the audience that the author wants us to be thinking that this great arena which is filled with the beloved of God, this community of faithful individuals throughout the ages is now the community that is giving us the example, that is telling us that as you live your Christian life, there are those who have been where you are. And they persevered to the end, not because that they were great men and women, but because they, their faith was fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the author of Hebrews begins his raw call in, in Hebrews 11, he sets forth individuals who had true, a true and living faith in Christ. And he says, let us remember these and not just simply emulate their faith, but let us see the anchor of their faith. And that anchor of their faith is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the context in which we live in. And the author of Hebrews doesn't say, let us be like Moses, or let us be like Abel, or let us be like Noah. But rather, he wants us to see the example and that that example should not end with an individual. It must go pass through an individual and point us to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the context of the Christian life. As you hear their voices throughout the, the, the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, you see that they did what they could or they did what they did because of their faith in Christ. They knew Christ. They had experienced his saving grace. And to them, he, Christ, was a living reality in their lives. It wasn't, it wasn't a far distant historical figure. He was real to them. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, who dwells, dwelt in them, they were able to see Christ as he's been revealed in the pages of the scriptures. And therefore, as we think of ourselves as individuals or collectively as God's people here at Kabwata Baptist Church, there's this context in which we live in. And this context is not just for individuals who've died, but we also live within a community where God brings in faithful men and women 
individuals who can spur us on in our Christian life to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is how we must all view our lives. We belong to a noble company of God's people. Some gone before us, some still living in this world, but glorifying God in their lives as they continue to anchor their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, when times come when you, when you feel, when you're tempted to go back, when you're tempted to be discouraged, remember that God's people have always looked ahead by faith. They've always looked ahead to what they now possess and what they will share together in the consummation of all things. And this is what we learn from the, the, the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11. This is what we learn from church history. Those individuals who are faithful to God, that even in the midst they would lift their, their eyes out of their trials and fix their gaze on Christ. And they looked ahead to what they not only possess now, but what will be a reality when faith will be turned in sight when they are with their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this ought to be our encouragement as well. That when we think of the context in which we live our Christian lives, we must not be so self-centered because there are times we tend to think as if we are the first and last Christians that have ever lived. We must learn from others around us, learn from those who've gone before us, learn from the, the heroes of the faith in the scriptures, and then see that all of them looked forward to what they have in Christ and how that they looked forward to it becoming a reality, becoming sight. Not just living by faith, but knowing that this faith one day will be turned into sight. And therefore, they gave themselves to God in their midst and in their age, in their period. And they served God faithfully because Christ was at the center of their faith. Some had nothing but relied on God's promises. And those promises of God were enhanced by the fulfillment seen in Christ and in the encouragement of Christ's high priestly work for them before his father's throne. So, we must not forget the context in which Christians live. But secondly, let's consider the calling of the Christian life. The context of the Christian life, now the calling of the Christian life. The second half of verse 1 let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The last half of verse 1 concludes by telling us that God has marked a race for us. He's marked a race for each one of us. He has laid out a course 
for each one of us who are his. And in that course that God has laid out for us, there are places you are to go to. There are things you are to do. There are challenges you are to confront. There are trials you will endure. There are sorrows that you face. God has marked a course for each one of us as we journey to heaven. You do not know where the twists and turns in that course are. On your way to heaven, there will be ups and downs, twists, bends, valleys, and mountains. But it's a course that God has marked out for us. And this is the calling for the Christian life. And the author says, run with endurance the race that is set before us. The metaphor of life as a race was common in in ancient literature and also in, in biblical times. The Apostle Paul employs the same metaphor in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and verse 25. And there he tells the Christians to run in such a way as to get the prize. That's a metaphor that he sort of uses. But also in describing his own life, he does so with, with similar terms. When he's, he's writing at the end of his life, he's writing to his beloved son Timothy, and in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and verse 7 and 8, Paul uses the same, the same metaphor where he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now we see here also that the, the writer of Hebrews applies the same language or uses the same language in chapter 12 and is showing to us that when you look at the sense of old, you clearly see that God had marked a path for them and each one of them ran their race according to the way in which God had marked the path for them. And as he uses this same language, he's employing us, he wants us to see that this is true of us as Christians as well. There is a race we must run And as we look to the heroes of the faith, they are not just spectators, but they're there cheering us as we run this race. And as we do so, they are telling us, fix your gaze on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you fix your your gaze on things around you, you will be discouraged. You will begin to slow down. But fix your gaze on Christ and run the race with endurance. We see Abel retelling of the true sacrifice we are to trust when we look at his life. We can hear the shouts of Noah telling us that while the world is condemning There is an ark of salvation, Christ. We see, we think of Abraham who cheers us out. And he says, they still hope, trust the promises of God. He will fulfill those promises. Just as he did and trusted God, God will fulfill his promises to you. Think of Moses who screams to us and is saying to us that we must be willing to forfeit status and favor in this world. 
We must be willing to forfeit riches and rank in order to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing of this world should come in between us and our service to God. And that's the example we see Moses. And he did all these things because he considered the greatness of Christ in comparison to the status or the riches of Egypt. The calling of the Christian life is for us to run the race with endurance and to lay aside every weight and sin which cleans so closely. And what we see is that when each one of us realize that our true calling is the race of faith in the living God. And that race of faith in the living God is that we must persevere in various settings where God places us. We must hold fast our convictions, our obedience to God in different settings and seasons of life. We must grow in grace and Glorify God through faith all the way to the end of our lives. And he says for us to do that, we must first lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us so closely. The two things that the author mentions there, he begins by stating that we must lay aside every weight, or as some versions will put, lay aside every hindrances. In the ancient Greek, games or ra rather runners would train their bodies so that they are lean or they are small so that, so that when the race began they would also ensure that apart from maintaining a lean body they would also remove any clothing they would strip off those long garments so as to run almost completely naked because the extra clothing was a weight or a hindrance that will slow them down as they run the race. And the word that is used here for weight or hindrances is also used for excess body weight or excess garments. And the writer is telling us that we must discard anything that slows us down in our Christian walk. We must ensure that anything that is slowing us down in our pursuit of holiness, our pursuit of Christ is laid aside. And some of those things in and of themselves may not even be seen. But if there are hindrances to running the race that has been marked out for us, we must lay it aside. So that we run our race. And when he turned to the matter of sin, he says, and sin which cleans so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The situation there is even far more serious. Weight weighs you down 
But then he says, sin entangles you. Sin entangles your feet. That's a picture it's giving. It entangles you. And when you are entangled, it possibly brings you down to the ground. And notice the way he puts it. He said, sin which cleans so closely, cleans so closely. And the point is that sin entangles. And you take sin lightly at a great danger because sin is deceitful. And therefore, you need to lay aside that sin which entangles you. Therefore, you need to be wise as you serve God. You need to ask yourself, what is weighing me down? What sin is entangles me? That I'm failing to run my race. Oh, I'm not running as it were at a pace I ought to. What way? What hindrances or what sin is entangling me? Lay aside every weight and sin which cleans so closely. Think of the life of David. Think of how quickly and thorough or thoroughly did sin entangle him. He is a man who was great, a man who saved God, a man who won battles in the name of the Lord, defeated Goliath, a great man, a great king. But David fell into sin when he allowed his heart to last for Bathsheba. And he became entangled. You know the story. You know how it goes. He became entangled. It had a horrible impact on his life, on his kingdom, on his family. The entire kingdom was entangled because of the sin of David. From sexual sin to lying, scheming evil and eventually committing murder, he was entangled because of sin. And it all began when that evening, as he was walking on the roof, of his palace and allowed his eyes to wander away and he was entangled in the sin. And the author of Hebrews, the scriptures are right, are saying to us that we must lay aside every weight and every sin that entangles us Weights will bring you down. Or anything that hinders your progress, your spiritual progress, should be discarded. Perhaps it, 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 it involves your lifestyle. We have many Christians who have bought into the entertainment culture of the day giving yourself vast hours to mindless television, watching movies one after the other, and in and of themselves, there may be nothing wrong, but because you've given yourself to the entertainment culture of the day, and you spend vast amount of hours on television, you begin to slow down in your Christian walk. 
Instead of reading the scriptures, reading Christian books, instead of following up on your brother or sister, instead of spending time praying, you are spending vast amount of time in front of a television. And day in and day out, you are not realizing that you are actually slowing down in your race marked out for you. Ask yourself this question. Is that helpful or an hindrance to you? Because these, these hindrances or these words can also be career ambitions. They can also be habits, hobbies, associations, or friendships. It's things that in and of themselves may not be sinful. But those very things may be words that are slowing you down in your spiritual progression. And you need to know your calling. You've got a race to run. And that race is clearly spelled out for us in the scriptures. It's service to God, first and foremost, but we must also bring this good news of the gospel of our Savior to the world to show them that Jesus saved. We must be there to, uh, to be each other's keepers, praying for one another, serving, for one, an serving one another, attending to the means of grace, and encouraging one another as we march on into Zion. And as we spend amounts of time uh, in, in habits or hobbies or friendships or all kinds of associations, and we, we must ask ourselves, is this helpful in my service to God? And if it's not, the oath, we are being taught there that those are words that might be slowing you down as you save God. So each one of us should look at all these things in our lives and ask the question, is it helpful in my spiritual walk with God? Is it an hindrance to my spiritual progression? How is this helping me to grow in grace and in knowledge of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the Christian calling. But let's look at the, encourage, the encouragement of the Christian life in the third place. The con we've looked at the context of the Christian life, the calling of the Christian life. Let's look at the encouragement of the Christian life. The encouragement of the Christian life. Verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. But that first part, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. That's the encouragement as we run our race. And this encouragement, I call it the all-purpose Christian encouragement the all-purpose Christian encouragement, because that encouragement fits in any situation, in any circumstance. There is no circumstance, 
no difficulty, no temptation for which this is not a dependable guide looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. This is the, the secret of the Christian life. This is the encouragement we need for our faith. It's that to, we must place our eyes not on the world, not on the world with its enticement, not on the world with its threats, not on any of our credentials or our abilities, not on our successes and failures, but on him who is the source and the fountain of all our spiritual energies, all our spiritual vigor, the Lord Jesus Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith. This is the all-purpose Christian advice. John Owen writes, and I quote, A constant view of the glory of Christ will revive our souls and cause our spiritual lives to flourish and thrive. The more we be behold the glory of Christ by faith now, the more spiritual and the more heavenly will be the state of our souls. The reason why the Christian life in our souls decays and withers is because we fill our minds full of other things. But when the mind is filled with thoughts of Christ and his glory, these things of the world will be expelled. This is how our spiritual life is revived. And of the court. And what Owen is basically saying is, in any situation, fill your mind with Christ. Any situation you find yourself, fill your mind with Christ. Are you going through trials? Fill your mind with Christ. Are you going through sorrows? Fill your mind with Christ. Are you, go, are you going through disappointment, depression, discouragement? Fill your mind with Christ. Behold his glory and your soul will flourish because he who is the founder and perfecter of your faith is indeed your God. And therefore we are being encouraged there that looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We see there that Christ is the foremost example of our faith. And the Greek word that is really used there as the founder is a word that is best rendered the forerunner. Jesus, the forerunner of our faith. Yes, in many ways, he's the founder of our faith. But the, the word, the actogos, basically is giving us this idea of a forerunner. One who goes ahead uh, to blaze the trail and overcome the barriers so that those who are coming behind can sail through with much ease. And therefore, it's, it, the best rendering will be Jesus, the forerunner of our faith. But also the word there, Jesus, the perfecter of our faith, again, it also indicates the idea that Jesus is the supreme and perfect example of the faith 
this verse in, in the Greek, it's, there's no word our there, but there's the word the faith. So it's not so much that it's our faith as the English says, but rather it's talking about the faith which makes reference to the, the Christian faith. This faith that you've come to receive in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the forerunner and is a supreme perfect example of how to run this race. And as we look to him, we are basically looking at his life. And as we look at his life, we see that the Lord Jesus Christ, despite all he went through, he trusted himself to the Father. He endured the cross because he knew whom he had trusted himself to, his Father. And it is important that we focus on the life of Christ as we read through the Gospels, throughout the New Testament, throughout the Scriptures, we see that here is the Lord Jesus Christ, referred to as a man of sorrow, a man who knew suffering. But it also tells us here that who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He knew he had a race to run, but he also knew that at the end of that race, there was joy set before him, the glory that he shared with his father from eternity. That glory was his, even though he was here on earth, it was still his, but then his glory was to be revealed, even as he endured the cross, was raised from the dead, he was given a name above all names. Our forerunner, our perfecter, endured the cross, setting his eyes on the joys set before him. And this is an amazing statement that we see. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is our example in perseverance. He's our example in spiritual joy. He's our example in how to trust God in all things. He's our example on how to lean on the Father, even when things do not make sense. You recall when you read in Matthew 27 and verse 43, the religious authority said of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross that truly he trusted in God. They were able to see even in his death that he truly, truly trusted in God. And this is an encouragement to all of us. When we are beset by all kinds of afflictions, we must fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Our faith is anchored in a person and that's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our faith is anchored in the works of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our faith is anchored in God. And as we run the race, we do not know what lies ahead. We don't know the joys and griefs that are there. But as the hymn writer says, but there's one who truly knows and who trust his loving care. And as we come to, to break bread and, and drink of the cup, we, we need to pause, reflect, examine our lives, 
Is your faith fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Even in those difficult moments, is your faith anchored in Christ? Because the things of the world will disappoint you. The treasures of life will disappoint you. But our Savior Jesus Christ will not. He endured the cross, the shame, for the joy set before him. And he's our forerunner. He's our example. We must emulate his life. Follow his example. Look to him in any and all situations of our lives. And we must remove all weights and sin that entangles us and look to Jesus. And as we look to Jesus, we will find him to be altogether lovely, wonderful, amazing, and a source of strength and great joy. His example of life and death transcends all other examples we can have in life. He suffered that we might be forgiven of our sins. He died that in him we may find life and life in abundance. And so as Elder Mkandawire leads us in the breaking of bread and in the drinking of the cup, think of the joy that is ours in Christ. Think of the salvation that is ours in Christ, planned by the Father, accomplished by the Son, sealed by the Holy Spirit. And as we think of that salvation, oh, that we may sing with joy, even when faced with trials, because we have a Savior who understands a Savior who's interceding for us, a Savior who's cleared the path for us, that even as we run, the solution to the barriers we may perceive along the way is looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen.